Alright, welcome back to another episode of Fast Break Lab NBA Podcast. Your boy Samuel here. I got with me a guest today, my my guy Noah, Noah Terranova from Twitter and also from YouTube. Um Noah, let them know where you can where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Noah underscore Terranova. Uh, you can find me on YouTube with just my name, Noah Terranova. Uh, that's really about it. Um, I have an Instagram. That's my name as well. It's just Noah Terranova, no spaces, nothing. That's kind of it, I guess. That's all I got. My guy Noah makes excellent YouTube videos on NBA, NBA draft prospects, high school players. So if you're into that, especially if you're listening to this podcast, then definitely go check that out after this episode. So... I got a bunch of topics that me and Noah are going to break down. We're not going to really talk about m- that many of the games that happened over the course of the week. We may get into some of them, depending on the play- players that we're talking about. But we're mainly going to be talking about like players and their development. And um, we're also going to talk about the NBA and their media coverage. And lastly, we'll talk about some draft prospects that Noah has his eye on heading into this um, this year's draft. Mm-hmm. So um, to start things off, let's talk about Ben Simmons. <laughs> so my, my thing with Ben Simmons is uh, it, he was part of that first like group I ever kind of really covered. Like that group, I think it was like Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, Jamal Murray, Buddy Hill, like that class. That was like the first class I ever like really started taking seriously. Um, he was somebody that was easily the best player in that draft. And it's just been frustrating to watch him in general, because I feel like he should be a lot further along in his career. Like, but he's just never like really improved, at least on offense. Defensively, he's improved, in my opinion, a lot to the point where he's probably the best defensive guard. If you consider him a guard, I consider him more of a power forward that people say is a point guard. But, you know, I guess like if you consider him good, he's the best defensive guard in the league. But, you know, on offense, you just want him to be a lot further along. And the fact that he's like probably one of the 30 best players in the NBA, maybe that's maybe it's a bit of a stretch. I definitely would have him in my top 30. But the fact that he is a top 30 player and just hasn't improved is frustrating and like the fact that he's a he is a disappointment and it's a valid thing to say he's a disappointment and he's this good it shows you like how good he could be yeah i i definitely agree with you on that like one thing i was harping him harping on him about especially last year when i was um when i first started this podcast was like i just want to see some semblance of the jumper like i'm not even big into like him taking like three threes a game or whatever i don't want like, taking threes at all yeah i mean they, they they've looked awful so far i yeah. mean he made one but like the others they're just like not even close um but like just like something like similar to what like bam's doing this year i would like to see him do where like he's just like taking like um shots from like the mid to low to high post and he doesn't even do stuff like that like when he's driving he doesn't drive to attack the rim. He drives to pass, and everyone knows that. So it leads to a lot of turnovers. Like when I was watching the game yesterday, he made a lot of turnovers because he was driving to pass 
And the defense saw that and they knew that and they were able to just read the pass. And it was just like, if you just attack to score, you can get like four or five easy layups easily. The thing with that, that's probably the thing that does bother me the most with him is, isn't like the, the suiting. Like the suiting's, I'm kind of at a point with the suiting, like it's never going to come along at this point. He's suiting mm-hmm. with the wrong hand. Like that's, it's kind of obvious at this point. And if he hasn't realized it now, he's never going to realize it. But yeah. the thing is that he doesn't attack downhill. Like he'll get a full head of steam and then stop and pass out. Which frustrates me because him going downhill at full speed is one of the most unstoppable things in the NBA. Like you just don't stop stuff like that. And it again just bothers me that he doesn't because he's so physically gifted and he he's so talented as well as like a ball handler. He's in control in that aspect. But even this year, like his touch around the rim has not been good at times when uh, I think he was playing Boston. And he was just missing layups that you would expect him to make and use prior. Like, you get a guy like 6'11", 240, he can, has great movement skills. You know, is a smart player. And, you know, you just feel like he's holding himself back. And that's what makes him so frustrating. Like, it's not that he doesn't shoot. Like, I would like him to shoot threes. If he could hit three-pointers, he'd probably be like one of the five best players in the league. But it's the other things. It's like he's just not aggressive enough. And doesn't use his physical tools to his advantage all the time. Yeah, and that's definitely something that I can see holding back, not just him, but like the team in general heading into the playoffs. Because I feel like a lot of people are taking the Sixers a little bit more seriously this year, especially like with the convincing wins that they that they've had, um, and the way Embiid has just been imposing his will and dominating and basically like the MVP front runner at this point. But a mm-hmm. lot of people's questions re- still lie on the fact that. Okay, Embiid is dominating. Harris has seemed to be producing at a consistent level this year. You got um, solid spacing all around with Danny Green, Seth Curry, um, Harris, Maxi, all those guys. But the one thing that everyone questions the most is what's Ben Simmons going to give you in the playoffs and how much of his game is going to be limited where it hurts the team in their in their quest for like a finals berth. I think... Well, I got to think about the teams out east that they're going to go up against to make it to the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are other teams that have you know guys that can match up with Embiid. Uh, Boston's not obviously not one of those teams, but you look at you know the the Bucks. They have Giannis, who I think you could put on Embiid. Uh, you look at you know the Heat. They have Bam, who's probably one of the best defensive players in the league. Uh, and you just look at that, and you're like. Okay, so those two teams, and I think it will come down to who they end up facing. Because if they end up facing, like, say Boston makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals, they have a good mismatch on Embiid. No one on Boston can stop Embiid. Like, that's not even a question. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think it's about, you know, how are you going to play against, like, Miami, and how are you going to play against uh, was Milwaukee? You know, teams that have players that can match up with your best player. And in those series, you're going to need someone like Ben Simmons to produce it. I don't know if he can do that. I think he's capable of it, even without the jumper. I've seen it in the past. Like, when he's aggressive, he's he looks like one of the 10 to 15 best players in the league. We just don't see that enough. And that's, again, what makes him so frustrating. Like, I remember his rookie year when he was in the playoffs against Boston, that one-point game. Like, 
and even yeah that was even a, last year like not last one well, not last two seasons ago like you know there are moments i'm like where is it like where is he but you know it it i think because and he said he said lost cause just because of how good defensively he is um but you know an offense you would hope just this a guy that you paid this much money and a guy that you invested your first overall pick in who is this talented you would just hope he would be more and that's really the big thing like he is kind of hope he would be more than what he is yeah and it especially looks very um i guess the word complicated is um when the the rumors came out about the 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 rumored package deal for James Harden, how it was like Ben Simmons and like, I think either Maxi or Tybal or even both of them mm-hmm. and how the Sixers basically, I guess they declined and it, it looks very odd when Simmons has these performances where he's like, where is he? And then you get into playoff matchups and it's still, where is he? I just hope this year for, for, for the Sixers sake and for his sake that he produces because that makes that look all the more like surprising. How did you feel about the um the Ben Simmons James Harden potential deal? I thought it was the best deal available. Um just because of like you don't find and again like I do think like it, at the end of the day you just don't find players like Ben Simmons like often. Like guys that are this big with the this kind of athleticism with these kind of skills. Uh and if you could throw a maxi uh, and you could throw in, you know, like a thigh ball. Like, you're getting a guy, like, I think Maxi has, like, borderline all-star potential, and thigh ball can be a rotational player. That was going to be the best deal you were going to get in the market, especially considering they're probably going to have to give up picks as well. Because, uh, like, I was looking at Boston, and I'm glad this didn't happen, obviously, with Jalen. When Jalen, you know, was in those rumors, it's like, it was like, okay, Jalen... You know, I don't think they would want to give up Marcus. So you're probably looking at guys like Romeo Langford and Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters and guys like that. You would move in the deal. Um, and this wouldn't be as good because I don't think Boston was going to give up both Brown and Smart. So, like, it really left Philly as the number one option. Uh, and definitely when you look at, you know, what the actual trade ended up being, you know, I definitely think that Philly would have had the better offer. Then Simmons, then then um the Nets got with uh Houston. Yeah, I was definitely on the get James Harden to Philly train because I thought also like you said it was the best deal, and what Houston got in return, like you can say it's great to get a a, a haul of like eight draft picks, but it doesn't matter if you can't draft well, and like the picks aren't that good also so. I, I'm more on the side of getting the best player in the in the trade available um, more than getting all these draft picks because you can have all these draft picks, but like, like, like for another example, like I see with Sam Presti, like he has all these draft picks and everyone's like, oh, he's he's drafted three MVPs in the past, but he has nothing to show for it. So it's like if you can't make anything of those draft picks, it means nothing. So that's why I was more on the side of um, Philly in that trade. Well, when uh, the thing with, with Presti, though, for me, though, is he was able to draft three MVPs, but he had three top four picks, like, that in a row. So that you, yeah, you're that just you're getting that MVP-level player three times is more likely. Yeah. Uh, 
and again, like the way that those boys won MVP, you know, it was either because like they left the team or someone on the team left. So minus like KD, obviously, because KD won it with them, but like Russ is because KD left. Uh, in Harden's, because he went to okay, he went to Houston, and even with KD, it was like Russell Westbrook missed most of that season. So, like I don't think that you looking at like three MVPs that kind of benefited each other when you really think about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was more so in like the talent, like gathering that much talent. It like, like even with the process, like they gathered all this talent, but like the only things that are still there from it, which I mean, are the best pieces of it are um, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But the odds of that are so, um, are so low. Well, for me though, I think, hey, I always, I still, I've always believed this is if Marco Fultz doesn't get hurt, the Philly, not, not the Phillies, the Sixers are in a completely different situation because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm I, probably like one of the only people in this camp, but I think if Fultz doesn't get hurt, he's the second best player on that team. Because so I think people forget how good he was coming out of Washington. Like This was one of the most complete good prospects I've ever seen. Like He could do it all. He could pass. He could score. He had a good handle. He could slash to the rim. He had great athleticism. He could suit it. Uh, he could draw fouls at a high rate. Like this was like the ideal guard you wanted to build around. And I think that he, had he not gotten hurt, he would be the second option on this team. Uh, but that's obviously not happened. And a lot of like where the Sixers are now, they kind of feel like they're a bit stuck in a way with mm-hmm. Simmons. I feel like that would have been solved because it would have forced Simmons into a role where, you know, he's more of a Lamar Odom. Draymond Green role was asked to have this much offensive responsibility. And I think that would have worked out so much better for them. Yeah, that's something I always think about, um, Marco Fultz, because like I remember coming into that draft um period, there was a lot of comparisons of him to Harden, which I thought was um which which spoke to how how gifted he was at the time. I, I wasn't really so much into the draft that year. I know I was I, I paid attention more towards the end of the draft period where it was like March Madness and like I was looking at like Fox and Monk and, and Ball. But I knew Markel Fultz was like the consensus like number one pick at the time because I knew that he was talented. But yeah, that a lot of Philly's problems would have been solved if he he didn't get hurt, which which is a shame. Because mm-hmm. it would have solved a lot of their problems, and we probably wouldn't even having be having these discussions about Ben Simmons needing to be more aggressive because he would be in the perfect role. Yeah, um, you know, there's there's also two ways to think about it. Where like, what if they just didn't trade the pick and then took like a deer and fox at three, um, but you know that's just not how it worked, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, again, like. You know, it's not that Ben Simmons isn't good, which I feel like a lot of people believe we say when we talk about like you know three pointer jokes and all that stuff. Like he's he's extremely good, and people are tough on him because he's extremely good, but he could be even better. And that's just that's just always been a thing with him. Like, is he going to show improvement? It's like a it's like a better version of Andrew Wiggins, where it's like. And it, I think that even makes it more frustrating is that with Wiggins, like he he just isn't good. Or hasn't been good, or it's even more frustrating when the player is good because you can see they could be even better. 
Yeah. And like, you know, say he developed some relevance of a jump shot throughout his career and say he was more aggressive, like, you know, maybe those LeBron comparisons end up being a bit more justified than they were. Probably not, but still, like, he'd be a lot closer to that than he is. Definitely. Um, You mentioned Jalen Brown as part of a potential package for um, James Harden. I do want to get into um, Jalen Brown because mm-hmm. he's on your Celtics, of course. Yeah. And he has shown, like, crazy improvement in such a short period of time, I, I believe. Like, the offseason was really short for them. They just came off the conference finals. Um one of like four teams that had a short off season, but like the improvement we've seen in him with his able, with his ability to score and like his efficiency while scoring is just like remarkable. So, so what do you have to say about um, Jalen Brown? So I, anytime I talk about him, like in this progression, I always mention that he was like a guy early on in his career, in his rookie year specifically, uh, was a guy that just like he was picking up DNPs. He was through games where he was only playing garbage time. They really kept a short lease on him. Uh, they didn't give him like you know the range that you would expect a, a top three pick to have, and rightfully so because he was a very raw talent coming out of Cal and coming out of Cal Berkeley, where you saw the athletic ability and you saw the flashes, but there was a lot of work, uh, and the fact that. You know, he's gone to a point now where he's this good is a testament to his work ethic and a testament to, you know, his motor and his drive to want to be great because, you know, I thought he was going to be good. Uh, but really what he's doing now, uh, I didn't expect him to even come close to that until like maybe two or three years down the line from this season. But he's there now, like... Right now, I expected him, and say it's hard for me to explain, but like when he got drafted, what I expected him to be at this point was what he was doing last year instead of this year. And he's made a jump from last year to this year. Like the handle's gotten tighter, the shot creating's gotten even better, uh, which is all impressive because those are things he struggled with in the league. He didn't have a good handle, he wasn't viewed as a good suitor. And oddly enough, since getting to the league, he's at worst been a slightly below average suitor. Um, so it just speaks to like, all this kind of speaks to like his motor and his work ethic, which I always try to factor in with draft prospects is, you know, that can be, you know, a needle movie. You know, it, it, it is with Denny, for, in my opinion. It's something that I think about with a guy at Florida State by the name of Scotty Burns. I might talk about him a little later, but you know, this is mm-hmm. the motor. And I think that's an important part of development, you know, like, do you want it? Like, and he clearly has wanted it. And his, his progression has been insane. I've talked about multiple times. He's my favorite player in the league. Uh, he was the first prospect I ever like really evaluated seriously. Uh, and it's just been like, it's just been a joy watching his improvement because it's astronomical. I don't think people understand like the improvement he's made because like they've only seen him, him now, but like they didn't see the progression that he made. Like, there was a point in his rookie and sophomore year where, you know, he couldn't even dribble the basketball without looking down. And, you know, to get to the point now where, you know, he's taking guys out to dribble, he's scoring like 33 points in under 20 minutes. 
scoring 42 in like under 30 minutes. He's just doing things that I didn't think he would be able to do. And, you know, I've enjoyed it. I do. Um, yeah, I mean, he's turned... <clears throat> He's turned in such a in, turned into such a prolific scorer. It's like it's crazy. Like he's averaging like almost twenty eight a game on like forty four percent from three, and it's just like I didn't see this coming either when I used to watch Jalen Brown because I used to watch some Celtics games whenever they used to pop up on national TV in like his first couple of years, and like I remember not seeing him play that often a lot because like they would play other guys in front of him because of like you said how raw he was. And like when you talk about motor it and like how much you want it, it, it brings it brings me to um, RJ's development. One of my um, one of my favorite players right now um, on my team, the Knicks, of course. And um, like last year, he was in a, a horrible situation, as you probably know, also from watching some mm-hmm. of his tape. Just like the spacing was awful. The Julius Randle that last year that we had is not the same Julius Randle we had this year. Um, and like he's he's made improvements in his free throw um, shooting. He's made improvements in his three point shooting. Of course, he had that little slump earlier, but like he's picked it up as of recently. And just like his decision making, because I noticed I know I, I've noticed something ever since you've made that video about him Um as um, I forgot what the title of the video was, but you were like, it's, I think it was like RJ has ADHD with like, I forgot what it was. I call him a basketball genius. Cause he is. Basketball he's, genius with ADHD. There we go. Cause he is. He's extremely smart as a player. And I think that's an underrated fact, underrated factor about him. Personally speaking, it's just how smart he is. But yeah, continue. Yeah. Like one thing I noticed is like he he kind of doesn't have that much of tunnel vision this year because like that's one thing that you noticed that you mentioned a lot. And like I saw a clip floating around like one of um one of the people on Nick's Twitter floated around this tweet of uh, this video of a drive from him last year off of a inbounds pass um, where he just like took it into like two defenders. But this year he got that same type of pass he drove and then he lobbed it up to Mitchell Robinson. And like that's type of improvements that I look for when I'm seeing development in players like those type of decision making abilities you know, that you didn't show the year before. And like just all the o- other stuff that I mentioned about his shooting. Um, that's really like mm-hmm. surprised me. And like I kind of like look at Jalen Brown as like kind of like not exact replica of like how I want RJ's development to go, but like how it could go potentially. Well, I think with RJ, like, RJ's rookie season is kind of what I would have expected Jalen to do. Like, had he gotten like opportunity right away, and they didn't, like, get him like behind like Jay Crowder, Navy Bradley, and even Marcus Smart to an extent. Um, but with RJ, the thing for me though is like. I'm not saying he's the motivator, and I think they're different players, obviously, but it's, I kind of view ceiling as that, like a DeMarderosen type where you know, this could be a guy that gives you 20, 25 points a game on a team that wins a lot of games, and it's a higher seed in the East or West or wherever he ends up playing, but I don't know if it can be the guy, uh, and that's a thing with him, um, but I, like, I've watched him a bit, I've looked at stats, obviously. I've noticed the improvement across the board in like field goals by distance. Like all of them are up, minus his three point, because he had a bit of a scump, obviously, but everything else is up, which yeah. I really liked. Um, he's He's been someone I've been watching 
Um, I know like he was consensus number one in all the recruiting sites. I had Zion ahead of him. Um, and I think that obviously has paid off. But you know, he was number two easy behind Zion coming out, and then obviously in the draft, I had as my number three guy behind Zion and Ja. Um, I think you know, again, the motor can be a factor, like. The motors alone makes me believe he won't ever be like a quote unquote like complete bust because of the fact that he's going to find a way to find some way to be impactful in the league. Uh, he showed improvement this year, obviously. I think, you know, it, it's encouraging. I think he could average more assists than he does sometimes. Uh, I definitely think that he could be a Jimmy Butler level passer at some point. I know yeah. someone, some people have compared him to Jimmy Butler. I don't see it, honestly, because I don't think he could be the defender Jimmy is. Um, but he's he's a fun player and a frustrating player because I still think the are shot talks and problems when I watch him play. The owners bats last year, obviously, but you know I still think they're there. I definitely think, though, he's one of those guys, and I say it's a lot about certain players, is some people are really, really high on him. And some people are way too low on him. Uh, and there's yep. very little in between. Like when he that. has his when he has his slumps, like NBA Twitter rails on him like crazy. Yeah. But then and, when he and then when he has a good game, there's certain people I see on next Twitter, they talk about him like he's next Jimmy he's like Jimmy Butler. And I'm like, I don't know if I go that far. Because I don't know if OJ ceiling is even as high as what Jalen Brown is doing. And I don't think Jalen Brown right now. Oh, is better than a healthy Jimmy Butler, but and cause I think that Jimmy Butler is just he's so much better than I think people give him credit for. Like he I does think so many, he does so many different things that like it's not just scoring with him because yeah, and I think a lot of the time when people look at him, like they just look at the fact that he doesn't average like twenty five point two game, which I think he's actually very capable of. Um. And they just look at that and say, oh, he's, you know, not better than guys. Because, like, there are guys that, like, that average way more points than he does that aren't as good as him. Like, Paul George, at the time, Jason Tatum, I think, is an argument for Jason Tatum over him now. Um, you know, guys like that where, you know, they, they average more points, but they're not better than him because he impacts the game in other ways. And he's also capable of taking over the game. Like, we saw that in the finals. Yeah, for sure. Um. And, like, with RJ, like, I'm kind of, like, more rail, reeled in with his, like, what his ceiling could be because, like, especially during this stretch, I like, he's been, like, a solid number two behind, like, Julius Randle on, on most nights. And I could see him being, like, a solid number two uh, behind, like, a very good player, not, like, Julius Randle, but, like, a very solid um number two behind another good player. And he's shown that on, like, a bunch of nights this year especially during like these last eight games, I believe it is, especially during the Western conference road trip that we just were on. Like he shot like 80, he shot like 70% from three, like his percentages have been really high. I know this is like super unsustainable, but like if he could be, be like a 36, 37% three point shooter, like this mm-hmm. year, like that would be a solid improvement from where he was last year. Yeah. Um, You know? Yeah. I, I agree with that as well. You know, I think, he he. The thing with him though is that he at least fits the baseline as a suitor. And my baseline for people as far as like suiting ability goes is 
can you be left open? Like, you're not someone, like, can they, like, MKG you? Like, you know, these are, like, kids go Chris, like, they would leave him in yeah. Ireland. And Ben Simmons even, like, they leave him on an island. Like, can you at least be someone, like, they have to, like, keep an eye on? Like, you can't just bring help defense off of. And that's that's always the baseline. And I think he fits that baseline, because if he's open, he's going to hit him. And I think yeah. that's with Jimmy Butler, because Jimmy Butler is not a good three-point city, statistically speaking. Um, but when you watch him play, it's like you can't leave him open. Like you're not gonna go yeah, under the screen. Nail it. Yeah. Um, which is always fun. But like, you know, I again that's the reason I always like please like watch tape, don't just watch like highlights, don't just look at stats. It's, you know, there's no always told the full story. Like Jimmy Burke was still, like twenty nine percent from three. But you're not gonna leave him open, are you? Like it's just things yeah, like no, that. Yeah. And I think the um, same thing that's with OG. I think OG is going to be, I think like the realistic, like a high end outcome for him as a suitor from three is, you know, 37% on like four or five attempts. But I think, you know, the more realistic thing is he's going to be someone that's, you know, below average, you know, numbers wise, but he's not going to be someone you can leave open. And I think that's a good baseline to have, especially when you're as good of a sl- as a slasher. And, you know, you can finish around the rim and you can hit mid-range shots, things like that. Yeah. And one thing that I noticed was which was a difference in his approach to the game, especially like compared to his slump and after the slump, which was these last like eight or nine games, was that like in those games where he was shooting bad, he was shooting a lot of threes and like he was just like getting spot ups, which I'm not. Like, a lot of Knicks fans are, like, unhappy when he takes the spot-up threes. And I'm like, it's okay for now because I kind of like that sort of path for his development because if he can become a solid spot-up shooter, then that opens up things for him off the catch and stuff like that where he can, like, drive and attack those closeouts. But then I'm also, like, I would like to see him in more downhill actions, which which is what he's been doing these last couple games. Like, they've been featuring him as, like, a role man sometimes. He's been getting some transition... um, baskets like him in downhill actions is where i want to see him um the most because i feel like that's where he thrives the most and he's able to he's able to control where he gets his offense from rather than it being like a spot up through or him having to attack off that so how do you feel about that stuff i yeah i think he probably is best going downhill uh because of his slashing but i do think he's actually a really good spot up shooter personally speaking um, I know there were numbers, he had numbers, I think it was like his catch and suit numbers were pretty decent his rookie year. I don't know if they are this year, I haven't looked it up, but uh, I definitely think he is capable uh, as a spot-up guy. You know, at least when I've watched him play, he seems comfortable in that role, uh, which is interesting because this is a guy that grew up his entire life playing on ball. Like, even when they had Zion Williams at Duke, he was playing on ball. So to see him be a pretty decent catch and suit guys is interesting. I will say that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really hopeful for his development because I know a lot of people were like super down on him after the slump, but like he seemed to like really pick things up and he just looks like super confident and poised now. Um, another guy I want to get into is um, Colin Sexton, who has caught everyone by storm, especially after um, the the Cavs beat the Nets twice, featuring their new acquisition, James Harden. Um, A lot of people are kind of down on, I don't want to say down on Sexton, but like they've like... 
I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I'll say that. No, go ahead. I'll say this. People should not be shocked by this because this is kind of natural progression with him. Because the thing is, he's always been, you know, a decently efficient player. Um, you know, he actually wasn't that efficient his rookie year. I'm looking it up now. 52% true shooting percentage. Um, you know, but he was, but you'll get regular field goal percentage. He was 43, 40, like 84. And then in year two, we saw him get to 20. He was averaging almost 21 points per game um, on, you know, 56 true shooting percentage. And then this year, he's insane. I like 25 on like 61% shooting percentage. But like, I don't know why people are shocked by this. Like, he's always been putting up good numbers. Um, you know, I still wonder, like, can he be a point guard? Because he is small and he's, it forces him into a point guard role. Yeah, he's 6'1, but yeah. he's more of like a shooting guard. Anybody really plays like a shooting guard. And the thing is, like, if you're like a small guard, like, you have to be, in order to be like, one of those guards, like one of the top two guys, are like six one. You got to be able to pass at a high level, like Trey Young does. Yeah, so even when Trey Young Trey has like a bad shooting game, he's still going to get you like eight or nine assists, like maybe even ten some nights, ten plus yep. some nights. But like Colin just doesn't do isn't a great passer. He's definitely more of a combo guard, which is why I always believed he would be more of a six man. I think he's proven he can be. Uh, a good score in this league. Uh, I definitely think that I still hold the idea yeah, that like he's uh, more of a six man. Cause I don't know if this is going to hold. That's the thing. Like I don't know if this is going to hold with him uh, because I just think that he's just playing at a higher level of, of doing the same thing he's always done. And it's no slight on him. He's been incredible this year and he's actually had a really good career so far. Um, but you know, the passing just still isn't there, like, as far as playmaking goes. Now, I know he's not the primary playmaker in that team. I know Garland is, and Garland has shown significant improvement, even throughout his rookie year as a passer, and he's shown improvement as a passer this year as well. I definitely think, you know, like, before he got hurt, he was averaging, like, eight assists per game. I know it's on, like, five now, but, you know, I definitely think it, it's interesting because he is only six one. And that's like the one thing holding him back. Like, if he was six three, like we wouldn't be having this conversation right now about like what is the ceiling because it'd be obvious he'd be an elite shooting guard. But you know, it's just hard for me to say. Yeah, that's a very fun, interesting combo that's going to be interesting to like analyze over the next couple of years because they're they're both so young, they're both so small. But like like you said, like if if Garland was like. A couple inches taller, he he'd obviously be classified as the as the shooting guard, but he would be more qualified as the um the primary playmaker. So it's gonna be interesting to see how mm-hmm. the um how the Cavs deal with that situation. Colin has become one of my favorite watches. I didn't really watch the Cavs the last couple years because mainly they haven't played that much of a fun brand of basketball to say the least. I mean, this year they're at least playing defense and they're winning games against competitive teams or they're making teams fight against them. So they have been an interesting watch for me. Um, and I, I, I've i become a fan of Colin Sexton, especially watching him torch the Nets like that. It is, again, like, I think it's a revelation of that Cavs game, but, like, he's been fun to watch for a while now. Like, he dropped, like, he dropped, like, 42 on the Celtics. 
they lost that game, but he dropped 40. And what made that game more impressive is he dropped 42 despite his team, like, kind of, like, ghosting him out of the offense. Um, and then he had a block on Zion Williamson that, like, no one talks about. Like, like he blocked one of Zion's dunks. Like, it was one behind, but he's 6-1. I, I, I always like to bring that up because I'm like, he had a block on Zion, and it's no one just talked about it last year. And it was like, you know how hard that is to do? Like, yeah, that guy's massive. Like, it was still, he got the block from behind, but like, still, like, yeah, you know, but he's a fun, he's he plays with great intensity. And I think that's that's kind of why I love him so much. Like, he plays with like a fire, I and mean, he's had that his whole life, too. Like, like, this is a guy that I, I love telling this story when I get a chance to is he enters the summer after his junior year unranked and then he goes to EYBL which is like one of the three premier AU like leagues in the country um it's probably the biggest of the of the three like you you'll see guys like all all the top recruits play there like guys like James Wiseman and you'll, you'll see guys like Bull Bull when he was big a lot of them end up playing in this big like tournament it's always fun they even get some like ESPN games sometimes but he goes to leads that um leads the EYBL in scoring. And I believe he set the record for points per game. There's some unranked top ten over one summer. And that just speaks to him and just like how much he works. And he's, he's another one of those guys. Like he just works so hard. And you can tell he's a great motor. And that's factoring in. Like it wouldn't shock me if he developed into a, a good passer eventually, because he if he works at it, I think he might. Yeah, definitely. And and he's he's also improved defensively, which kind of helps with um Cleveland's improved defensive ranking because Cleveland, I mean, the last couple of years, I think they've been towards the bottom of the league in defensive rating and now they're like top 5, I think it is. And I think that's also because of the improved defense of uh, Colin Sexton and 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 credit to that coaching staff to getting all those guys to buy in, especially too. I think part of that has to do with like I don't know completely because I haven't watched the cat again, like you, I haven't watched the Cavs that much. But I do think Isaac Okoro, the rookie, does play a role in that as well. Because he's he was probably like one of the, either the best or second best defensive prospect in that draft when he was coming out. And um, but with with Colin though, he he's improved defensively. I still again, I still wonder like what he could be. Like, you know, what realistically is he on a contender? Like, probably number two or three, maybe four still. But he's been fun to watch. He has. Definitely. He's somebody I feel like deserves more recognition than he gets. Uh, You know, it's just, he's an interest. It's just so interesting because his skill set is... Probably for someone like six three, six four, six five, but he's six one. Yeah. Um, but again, the motor will play a factor into his development down the line as well, which is important to note. And one last one last player that's um that's kind of intrigued me this this season is um DeAndre Hunter. Um, oh yeah. The uh, he was like the fourth pick last year, I believe it was. Yeah, he was. And like, 
he was coming into the draft, like everyone was like solid on his defense. They were like, what that that's one thing they know for sure that would translate. But offensively, the jump that he's made, I think, is like pretty significant and surprising. So how do you feel about um DeAndre Hunter's development this year? Um you know, I I'll be honest with you, like I haven't watched a lot of him. I didn't watch a lot of him as a rookie either. So mm-hmm. I can give you a full story on him. Um, you know, I still feel, and this may be my bias because like I'm a big fan of this player. I still feel like you know Cam Reddish probably has a more upside long term than him because because Hunt, DeAndre Hunter is older than Trey Young, by the way, and I believe he might be older than I. I'll, I'll I can't confirm this, but. No, he he's slightly younger than John Collins, but he's a bit older, and I think Cam has a bit more upside in all because Cam has been dealing with injuries this year. Um, so I I wonder I wonder like what is it going to be like with that? Um, but the efficiency has been incredible. Like that's just yep. that's the big thing that stood out. Like. You know, the 64.62 shooting percentage is insane, regardless of context for a wing play. Especially a wing play that is more of a jump shooter than, excuse me, anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, he's consistently been, like, probably their second or third best scorer on most nights. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't see coming because, like, I was more focused on his defense because I watched a lot of him at Virginia when he was playing in Virginia. And that's one thing that really stuck out to me was his defense. But like offensively, he wasn't like someone that really stuck out to me. Like he could, he would score, but like it wasn't like the main thing that you were looking for in him. But to see him like, like the other night he dropped like 33 on Milwaukee on 13 for 21 shooting. I mean, like that's incredible. And I know he plays great defense as well. His defense hasn't translated to the way where like people thought he would be able to guard like fours and whatnot but you can still guard threes and twos which is like still pretty good i think he has a size to guard fours he's like well like 6 8 220 is probably mm-hmm. um so i think he's a size i just think it's just about you know getting boost because like height and weight isn't always like the indicators of like you know strength like you gotta yeah. like like where you have to understand where is that like that weight coming from it's coming from the upper or lower body and that could play a factor into it as well. And I still, he still looks like someone that hasn't filled his frame out yet completely somehow. Um, but I definitely think I think it'll take time because, like, you know, defensively, you know, it's always something that comes around slowly for a lot of players. At least that's what I've noticed. But you know, I think in time he'll be fine. Um, you know, he was somebody that. When he was coming out, he drew Kawhi comparisons for obvious reasons because it's one of yeah. the laziest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, let's find every wing that can play defense and compare them to Kawhi Leonard. I hate um, that. Yeah, it's I, so I, lazy. I, it's so lazy. I, you know, my favorite one is they, they compared Rui Hachimura to him. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, like some players, like, I, because like, I think the thing with Kawhi is like they say, oh, it's like Kawhi when he was entering the league. Uh, but like, it's like you can find someone else to compare him to that isn't Kawhi because Kawhi isn't just a defensive wing. He's like one of the 
best offensive players of his of his generation as well. Yeah. So like, you know, I view and then this is a controversial thing I say with Kawhi it was like I view Kawhi as like a generational offensive talent, not just because of how efficient he is, but his composure as a player on offense. Like you yeah, could, you couldn't tell if he had sixty points or if he had like eight points on like or if like fifteen shooting. Like you couldn't tell if you just turned the game on. Like that's what makes him special to me. Is just like you you can't tell. You can tell when players get flustered. Like I can tell when Russell Westbrook is frustrated. I can tell when Steph Curry's frustrated. I can tell yeah. when James Harden's Bradley frustrated. Beal. Well, Valley Beal's frustrated even when he drops sixty points. So I don't know about. I I, I want to see what he's like on the bench next game. I want to I want to know if it looks like the like a. Like I posted a picture from Attack on Titan when the house <laughs> fell on her on Evan's mom. And so I'm like, I this is gonna rally be on the next game. You gotta add to your no, collection I, next one. I, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do next one. Uh I definitely I, I have some ideas in the back of my head on what I might do. Uh, <laughs> but he those pictures are hilarious though, because I think that because like if you put him in like a, a certain order, those pictures of him on the banks, and there's more than this, those two, like there's a bunch of them. It yeah. looks like a villain origin story. I'm like, <laughs> this is a set. But he's like, he doesn't want to leave. That's that's what the shocking part. Like he wants to stay. Like yeah, like he's doing it to himself at this point. Like you can request a trade. Yeah, but wait, we don't know. We don't. I, I think he, you could. Like put me one that's like. This isn't the serious thing, I believe, obviously. But part of me is like, what if like, they're blackmailing him? Like, what if they have something on him that he just can't request a trade? <laughs> and he's just stuck there. Um, he's someone that I'm actually working on a video about him. Okay. Like, I'll, I'll for that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I'm just working on a video about him. It's like, there's just like a myth about him being this empty stat player that I'm just, I completely want to debunk. But, um, you know, he's doing. I, he is doing it to himself when he signed that extension. But people have to, have to understand, like, when he signed that extension, you know, like, I think he thought it was going to be different. I don't think he thought Westbrook was going to be there. But I think he. I think he had some some say in that decision, though, because I don't yeah. think they make that trade if he doesn't agree somewhat to having Westbrook come. Yeah. I didn't think he. I don't think he thought that Westbrook was going to be completely washed this year. <laughs> but that means going to mean signing like two years. <laughs> Like people think I'm joking when I say that. I'm like, no, he's done. I'm watching him play. He's lost his first step. And when athletic guards lose their athleticism, like they go out quick. Because he has no jumper. He has he doesn't commit to the defensive end and he can't without the athleticism. It's just he's finished. He's cooked. It's it's funny because like John Wall is coming off like what an Achilles tear and he looks and he still looks like the fastest player in the league. Like, he had an Achilles tear. He had like a heel surgery before that, and then he had like a knee surgery before that, yeah. and he still looks. And then way he's better. like, then he like slept in a shower or something in, in his own home, and yeah. like, like he tore his ACL and like slept in his own home and tore his Achilles. He comes back and he still he still looks like he hasn't lost a step. Um, which is but Westbrook like I, I think of guys like Stephon Marbury. And Steve Francis and Boone Davis, like they fell off quick. Perfect comparisons. Yeah. I was thinking about all those guards when when I saw Westbrook just like diminishing. Because like you think about like Dame's gonna like go out. 
I, I think guys like Damian Lillard, Stephen Curry, James Harden, uh, even when Trey Young eventually gets to that stage, there's a couple guys like in college I think are the same way. Like when they end their careers, like they're still gonna be playing at somewhat of a high. Like they're gonna go out like Dwayne Wade, where it's like they're averaging like 15 points per game. Like yeah, because once you have that jumper, it's like that's mm-hmm. all you basically need. You don't need the athleticism. Yeah, like I, and especially with like Harden, a guy like Harden, which like his game isn't really based off athleticism. Like it's based off a lot of craft. Uh, I know people like to say that you know he flails and flops, but like when I watched him play. He has he has skill. He has, he has craft. great footwork. He's crafty. One of the best finishers around the rim. You now people are like every time like people say, "Oh, he made a year step popular." People like to be like Mount Noble and things like that. I'm like, yeah, but like Harden's doing things and other players are copying him, and they're not getting the slander that Harden gets. Mine's like Trey Young, but like they're doing like the thing where like they get the guy in the hip and like they jump back. And draw the foul. Like they're doing like Hoden started that. Like Yep. You know, like it's funny because he's friends with Young Thug and like, you know, Young Thug kind of like is responsible for like that trap hip hop kind of movement. Mm-hmm. With like, Gunna yeah, and all the and all those people. Like he's kind of like that. Like it's kind of like that. Cause Yeah, I definitely like, I definitely have the comparison there. Yeah, but like because like it's also funny because like that you ever see that young thug tweet about how Hoden doesn't have internet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't that, 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 that thing with him with that though, like him like being oblivious to like the certain situations is part of me does I, I kind of just believe like when he wore the Blue Lives Matter mask, like, I truly believe that he just didn't know about it. Because like he probably yeah, I, I think so too, because like he just seems like he's not aware of like any like anything. social issues or anything at all in general I mean, he like, barely uses social media like like he posts a lot but like, you have to the guy has a manager obviously like yeah like he like he's barely he's never on twitter things like that like it's just kind of like i i i, I truly believe like he just didn't know and that's just kind of like he's kind of in his own little world he's like which is <laughs> funny but but um yeah let's let's get into um NBA media coverage and specifically oh, I, I want to talk about <laughs> specifically I want to talk about the Shaq Donovan Mitchell situation. I, I I could talk for like ten hours about the media in general, not just like mainstream, but like stuff on Twitter. But with the Shaq thing, like Shaq is just a cop. <laughs> Shaq is just a cop. Like he was a cop in Grown Ups too. He's a he's a cop in real life. Um. And he acts like one. That's the best way I can put it. Uh, he's he's a gatekeeper, right? That's what he is. You know, that's just the way I feel like it. Like he's such a boomer. Like he mm. hates everything. It's funny because like we say he hates everything new, but like his favorite player, Steph Curry, which is like the person that like transformed the game and like has such an influence on like well, he, the way a lot hates, of guards play. He he hates all the players he makes fun of. It's like JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, um, you know, players like that. Players that own sacks in the fool. And he hates all the bigs that could shoot, dribble, and pass. Yeah. Which is almost all of them now. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, Embiid can dribble. Like, I saw Embiid do, like, he did, like, a step-back three dagger on the Celtics. It was like, well, um, obviously, we see what Nikola Jokic is doing. There are guys entering the league soon. 
there are a bunch of guys, of bigs that enter the league that are doing things that are just insane, like guard like stuff. So he's going to have a lot of fun with that in the years to come. <laughs> That's going to be fun. But he's just a bitter old. It's just like, it's so odd to me because we, when I, I grew up knowing Shaquille O'Neal, he was the fun, loving, you know, goofy guy that does like Frosted Flag commercials. And, yeah. you know, he did, he's in growing up in like Adam Sandler movies. He, he does like, he's just fun and goofy. And now I hate him. Like, it's just, <laughs> now I hate him. It's like, I can't stand him. Like, you know, like, he talks, and like, no, he always ahead. talks about his rings. I'm like, yeah, you had three rings. Uh, and he always talks about, like, it's, a, it's, a, like, I never understood. Like, I hate when he brings up, like, help. Like, always play, you know, can't be the guy. He's not the closer. I'm like, you were never the closer on any of the teams who won titles with. Like, like he talked about that with Giannis. Like, he can't be a closer. Like, he said something about that. And I'm like, dude, you've never been a closer in any of the teams you won a title with. And I've watched, like, old tape of, like, the late, those Lakers teams. Like, Kobe was the finisher. And then when he yep. went to Miami, he wasn't even the best player. Dwayne Wade was, and it wasn't even close. I, I would argue he might not have even been the second best player in that final series. He was horrendous. He was a... Yeah, people don't realize how bad Shaq was in the 2006 finals. Like, like he was not... Like, he was... Greg Monroe probably could have outplayed him in the 2000s. That's not even an exaggeration. Like, he just didn't play good at all. But, and, um, like... He's he's going out he's going out sad because like I saw on like Instagram he's like under a whole bunch of people's posts in the comments trying to defend himself. He's DM he's DMing artists that are like drawing pictures of players dunking on him. Like yeah. he is going out sad. Like he's like the Eminem of the NBA. Like just, it's just <laughs> it, 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 he's true. It's just it's so funny to me. It's just like. And the thing is, he's not the only one to write that in the NBA. Oh, of course not. But like, he's yeah. become the face of it. Face of it. He's just the biggest example, literally and figuratively, of it. You know, like, when you think about it, it's like, oh, um, you know, he just talks about his rings all the time. He's, you know, I, I think that, you know, Kevin Garnett to an extent like that, but he's way cooler. Like, he's just yeah. kind of like, you know, like, I think people, like, are more in, endearing and enjoy, like, Kevin Garnett's old school, old school mentality. You know, it's because he's kind of been that way his whole career. Like, Zach hasn't been like that his whole career. Like, he was, like, the fun, marketable guy his entire career, and all of a sudden he's old and bitter. But Kevin Garnett kind of was that psychopath the whole time. Like, And then Kevin Garnett's also kind of funny, too. Yeah. So, like, that also plays into it as well. Um, but like you think about it, like, but to speak on the NBA media in general, like I don't know if you want to talk about this, but like yeah, go ahead. No, like there's two things people act like you know it's just mainstream. That's the problem for me, and I'm not gonna mention people, but it's also <laughs> media on Twitter, like for sure it is. I'm not gonna name people, but a lot of people that write. And they like do like podcasts things like that, like they'll get to like ten thousand followers or something like that, and they and they start feel feeling like they're important, and they start feeling entitled. 
And it's really annoying because it's just not like this because you have followers does not mean you should be entitled to certain things. Um, but like I also feel like the problem is a lot, and I at least I at least I get the vibe of is some of these guys that are like popular on Twitter with like this, and and definitely in the mainstream media, they just aren't watching the games at all, like at all. And this is something that I truly believe. Fits more on a college, like draft level, than NBA level, because as somebody that does spend, you know, hours upon hours just watching tape about prospects and watching this, like I'll hear things about prospects that like just aren't there on tape, and I'm not the only one. Like other people have like unseen that on tape. Like when James Wiseman was coming out of uh, Memphis after those three games. They were talking about him like he's this Anthony Davis level prospect. And I'm like, or like he has like unicorn potential. I'm like, he's never saw good from the field as far as like jump shooting goes and three pointers. He doesn't have great lateral movement. So he says he doesn't have the switchability that uh, Anthony Davis has. Like, there's just nothing there that supported this argument, but people ran with it. Uh, and I know Wiseman has had some pretty good games this year. He just had 25 points recently. Um, and he hit some threes. And I think he's a better suitor than I thought he would be based off what I saw entering the league. But like, you know, they're, they're putting, even now they're putting these expectations on him that just aren't there. Like there isn't enough to justify those expectations. Um, but it, again, like another big one, and this is something that's kind of carried to the NBA, is like the Halliburton versus Lamelo thing. Like uh, yeah, there are I've people seen- that say like Halliburton is this like massively better than Lamelo, and I'm like, it's not really even close because Halliburton is thriving in a system that benefits him. Meanwhile, Lamelo is thriving, still putting up like comparable, if not better, numbers at times. I know Halliburton's way more efficient, but like numbers wise, like basic stats, they're basically the same player. Um, and he's doing this while. Everyone in the organization seemingly hates him somehow for no good reason either. But um, so I think that is another thing as well. Uh, but I definitely see like this uh, this is vibe that people don't watch the game. And there are like the Caius watches games, obviously. You can tell. Definitely. Guy, for sure. PD watches games. You no, know, Jackson Frank, guys like that. They, you can tell those guys watch games. Um, but there's definitely a bunch of people, people that don't. You know, and you could tell it's just like hot take. They became they became like hot take factories. These guys, a lot oh, of these. Um, shout, out Cuffs, these shout out Cuffs the Legend. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> oh man, that 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 account yeah, yeah. that that's a bottom five account on a, on the app. Up there with Jamil Hill, um, Worldwide Wob. I, <laughs> I I can't stand people get mad at me that I hate on him. I'm like. You guys are he's liking. He's very childlike. He's thirty six. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> you know, like I still go back. Like I have that tweet that he said. Like props to Adam Silver for not laughing at the Jalen Brown pick. I have that bookmarked. And every once in a while, when Jalen Brown has like an amazing game, you, you ever see that? It? I retweet. Uh, you ever see the Funk Flex? The Funk Flex clip. Put him on the camera. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll. I'm put. I'm good at every time because like. Because he was like, what, probably like 30-something when he tweeted that? I'm like, dude, that kid's like, what, 19? 
you're saying that about him, but like, no, I said, I'm not the only one that's a gripe against him, by the way. There, I know a bunch yeah, of people. Yeah, I've seen a whole bunch of people that can't so, stand so James, the name. Shout out M. Breezing72. But, um, you know, I think NBA, the NBA media, though, in general, auto is represented by NBA Twitter. Isn't it, it? It truly is. Because again, like you mentioned, hot take factory. Yep. A lot of these, a lot of these analysts have like they become they become like sp- they they start spewing talking points that I've seen from like these these bad accounts on Twitter, like these these um sports avi Twitter. That's what I call it. I call it. I, I just call it NBA Twitter. I just call it NBA. Twitter. I call them sports avi Twitter because like all these guys, their avatars are just like cartoons or like pictures of NBA players that are not them and they just spew out all these horrible takes and they they just recycle them and regurgitate them and I've seen a lot of guys in NBA media on these shows first take undisputed first things first by Skip Bayless Shannon Sharp Nick Wright all these guys they just regurgitate them and people eat them up and it's just like these guys aren't watching the game you guys should probably watch the game so you can like dispute what they're saying because like when you hear some of the stuff that these guys say you're like that's not true and like how did you get to that point so it's like it's, it's become true really with all sports though yeah but like you see it more prevalent with basketball yeah. i see a lot which is frustrating because i want people to be smarter about the game about watching the game i want people to be more educated about the game and not just like have all these garbage takes that like they mean nothing in the grand scheme of things like that's hilarious my favorite like bad like the worst one i've ever seen and this isn't even basketball related was when it was like i think it was 2018 draft nfl uh and Stephen a smith called dwayne haskins a running quarterback Dwayne Haskins ran like a five flat forty at the combine. Yeah, that and was he's like, been described as a pocket passer his entire life. Stephen A. Smith watches no game tape yeah. at all. Dude, 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 Stephen A. Smith is problematic in his own right. Like, yeah, we can have a separate podcast on on yeah. him being problematic alone. I mean, these days he's just good for like meme clips on yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. But he's problematic in his own, like those things specifically with Kyrie that like any yeah. other, any anyone else would be fired right now. But he's carrying that company so much. Um, but like you know, I I still do feel like that NBA Twitter this has is basically the NBA media except it's kids, basically for the yeah. most part. There, there are the weirdos that are in their like twenties and thirties that are part of that that oddly are. Um, but NBA Twitter is something I consider making like an R. Kelly style documentary about <laughs> because no, I truly did. Like it, it's truly messed up. Like, do you see? I don't know if you recently saw this, but like somebody, saw, you see the dog thing, dog's death. Like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He's got issues, man. It's, it's like, ah, it's it's disturbing. Somewhat. I know. Oh, it is like. And it's like every type of phobia, you know. They're, they're transphobic, you know. They're homophobic, you know. They're racist. They're, they're sexism. There's every. There's a little bit of everything with them. 
it's yeah. truly it's not a good place. Like they need to do abolish it because there's no reforming it at this point. Um, but you know, it is because like I do because like because I'm like, I know Rusty and people like that. A bunch of them like will reply to my stuff because they because um, they follow him. And, you know, I talk with him a bit, but like, yeah, it, it's true. It's true. I don't even think it's about basketball anymore. It, like, it, it, it's evolved past that. And yeah, it's just like, there's some, I'm not going to name them, but there's like someone who's like, who really will tweet something and then like quote tweet it and tell people who have their notifications on for his tweet to like the tweet. So they get so that person can ratio someone. Yeah, it's it's so weird. I try not to even like try to like even pay attention. I try to like ignore it half the time because it's I, just I'm like the sicko meme. Have you seen the meme of the guy? The sicko he had the sicko shirt on and he's looking in like the window. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically me with the it's like it's a morbid interest in it. Like <laughs> how bad can it get? Yeah. I, I don't even want to know. But before we wrap things up, I do want to ask you about some prospects that have caught your eye going into this draft. Because as everyone knows, this draft has been really talked about highly. Um, And like, it's like everyone's talking about like, this is like, a, like this draft, you could like end up being 10th and still get like a really, really, really good player. So mm-hmm. who are some players that have caught your eye? Well, obviously, everyone knows about Kate. I don't want to talk too much about him. Um, yeah. I'm not, I like everyone is, but like I'm not. I think because he's known, like he definitely is known. But I don't think people understand how good he is. One of those guys is Evan Mobley, the big man at USC. Like this is mm-hmm. a generational big man prospect. It, it, it he's like everything that you know, guys like Bull Bull. And Don Maker were building up to be. He's all like he's the apex of that kind of archetype. Uh he's somebody has in, insane movement skills. He got he moves like a goad. You know, he has great lateral movement. He can sweat on defense. He can play multiple defensive coverages. Uh he's somebody that's in, an extremely smart defensive prospect. He can block sides, he can get steals. Like he's a complete defensive prospect, and then you add his offense. He can handle the ball. He's a good passer. He's great processing as an offensive player. He knows where to find open play guys. Needs to work a bit on pass accuracy, but he's in great passing vision. Good suitor as well. Can take guys off the dribble, can post up. Like there's there's literally like no flaw in his game. Like there's some motor questions, but that that's usually the case with big men. A lot of that has to do with the fact that they aren't someone that can initiate offense or the salt for the most part. Uh, like, you think about eight and like, someone has to, like, you know, bring the ball up and feed him in the post. Evan Mobley doesn't need that. Like, he will get that because of how good, because of he'll be on a team likely with a guard that can bring the ball up, but he doesn't need to bring, he can bring the ball up if he wants to. You know, he's, he does profile a bit more as a power forward because of his, like, frame. But, like, it's a true marvel. Like, he's, I'd argue, the best big prospect I've seen of the last, like, few years. Like, I think he's better than DeAndre Ayton. Definitely think he's better than James Wiseman. Uh, Better than Okongwu. You know, better than, I think of other ones. Like, he's just, 
better than Colin. I would even argue as a prospect, maybe even better than Colin Anthony Towns when he was coming out. Like you just mm. don't you don't find guys like like he's a dominant, you know, offensive and defensive talent. And he's playing he's not and he's not playing in a system that benefits him in college either, mind you. Um but like man, I I, I think I, I I might post a clip of it later. I might show you it later if I post it on Twitter. It was a clip of him in high school. He grabs the rebound, takes it down court, dribbles it up, you know, pass fakes, throws it to the corner, gets it back, you know, ball fakes, pump fakes a guy out, and then hits a move range jump. Like it, it's he's like he's a seven footer that just does things that don't seem possible at that size. And you know, the the, the history of seven footers that do things that don't seem possible at their size. There's a good track record of, of those guys. Um, yeah. But he's my easy number two. Another one, um, he's my number four prospect. And I know I'm, I, I, I'm trying to talk about like my top guys, but like this is somebody that I'm way higher on than most. And that's Jaden Springer at Tennessee. Doesn't have the stats that you would expect because Tennessee runs a platoon system basically. has He has put up good numbers since starting. Uh, combo guard can play point guard, can play shooting guard, like six four two ten. Um, you know, he's somebody that I think has potential to be like, you know, a twenty plus point per game scorer, five plus rebound, five plus assist kind of guy. Uh, I think he's better than Jalen Suggs, personally speaking. Mm, um, okay, because I, I think if you put Jaden Springer in that in that Gonzaga system, he would be able to do the same things that Jalen Suggs does. And he's like a year younger than Jalen Suggs. Oh, okay. Uh, he's Jaden Springer's like the second youngest player in this draft behind like Jonathan Kaminga, I want to say. Did he reclass? Kaminga reclassed up, yeah. And Jaden Springer he has a September birthday. Mm, okay. Uh, and he's been like a normal, like he's a year younger than a lot of these guys. But I like he gets to his spots well, has a great defensive motor, and it's a, he's a competitor. He has the skills, he has the motor, and that's a good combination to have. Um, as far as somebody that's probably going to go a bit later, um, you know, I'm looking at Yevi Pond. He just does some fun stuff, like, as a defensive player. You know, Isaiah Jackson's interesting in Kentucky. I like him a bit, even though Kentucky's been horrible this year. Yeah, they've been awful, um, and... I still believe in BJ Boston even. Like I I had I had him at number four on my boy to start the season. He's moved down to like ten or eleven. But he's still a lottery talent. Like the talent's still there. The handle's still there. Um uh, he's just not playing in a system that really benefits his skills. Yeah. Know? And I think That's the same thing could be said about Cloak as well. I know he's been hurt a bit more, and I don't know when he's coming back, but yeah, I like him. I like Cloak as well. Still, I think Cloak is still a first rounder. I think those guys are so talented. I just think that they ended up choosing the wrong school, which is odd to say because usually that's something you think of with Kentucky, like guys that choose the wrong school and ends up being Kentucky. Um, you know, Cam Thomas is a fun scoring prospect. Um, Josh Christopher is uh, you know powerful like. Go that has an, a great motor. I want him in. I want to see him in Memphis. Because that would uh, be a um, because no, I go. I I just think he would fit because you know when you look at him and you say like he fits kind of both mindsets. Like he fits that new flashy 
Memphis that they that they're building around Jock. Memphis now is very much a flashy team, but he mm. also is somebody. He's the first to like die for a loose ball. He he he'll throw himself into the scorers' table to give his team a possession. He's the first one to like help his teammates. He's very locked in, and he's he's a great motor. And he's a great competitor, and that kind of fits that old school grit and grind. And I would love to see that there. Um, you know, Sharif Cooper's been making him rise up the boards as well. Uh, he definitely interests me, but he 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 is like he's a really he how 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 tall is he? He's like six, he's six one, I think. He's listed at six one. He's definitely like five eleven and a half to six feet tall, which is okay. He but the thing is like the thing you know, like minus the three point shooting, which I think will come along eventually because of the indicators with his free throw percentages. He will come along. And, uh, you know, because he does two things really well that you want for a small guy as an NBA prospect. He's he's an elite passing prospect. You know, ambidextrous, throws a lot of passes, has great vision, uh, and he draws fouls at a high rate. And we're looking for a small guy to be a star. You know, they need to do those things. Suit, score, draw fouls, and be an elite passer. It's like, that's what makes Trey Young a great small guard. Uh, and I think once the shooting comes around, which I think it will, you know, that's when we're going to start seeing him higher. I have Cooper, like, I, anywhere between, I think it's like eight or, ten, eight or nine or ten on my board right now. And I was high on him entering that season. I had him, like, top 20, which is a lot higher than a lot of people had him. Like, they had him, like, a second-round prospect. Um, But, you know, if you're looking at, like, you know, like, smaller guys that, like, not not smaller like size wise, but like guys that like people are talking about. Jason Preston in Ohio. I I I still think he could be something. Ah, uh, yeah. I I was interested by him, especially early on where he was having these good games, especially that duel he had with um the point guard from Illinois. I don't know how to pronounce his I name. Is, yeah. But yeah, I like I liked what I saw from him early on in the season. Uh Josh Giddy, he's um He's playing for in the NBL right now. Six eight, two hundred five pounds, combo guard type, really good. Like yeah, the Watson play. He's going to be somebody that's going to start to up draft boards. Uh, Matthew Hurt is somebody I think is a late first early second round prospect. Um, oddly enough, I even think a guy like Scottie Pippen Jr. is a prospect that could come out this year. He's been playing really really well. Yeah, year. I don't know. Your events have motivated him yeah. <laughs> to, to perform right. so well. But yeah, I, I, I didn't think that he was like last year when he came out of um Sierra Canyon um and went to Vanderbilt. I wasn't really He had a good freshman year. he was inefficient as all hell, but like he saw signs. I definitely think like he's a second late first round guy potentially this year if he keeps it up, obviously. Um you know, David Johnson at Louisville is kind of name people like to talk about. Scotty Lewis at Florida. Um, Greg Brown. I don't know if I, I don't know if you saw my post of this. He has the worst assisted turnover ratio I've ever seen, but he's a fun athletic prospect. The guy has. No, I did want to mention this because it was funny. One assist to thirty turnovers this year. <laughs> But he's a he's super athletic. Like he's one of the most athletic players in this draft. Jalen Green is a name that I'm a bit lower on the most. 
Uh, I still think he's that? a. Yeah, I I think people were pegging him in as this like top three, top five franchise changing guard. I think he could be good. I definitely think he can. Um, yeah, I've heard this is clearly there. He has great body control. You know, extremely crafty finisher around the rim. Uh, to his credit, he has shown improvement in a lot of areas throughout his entire high school career. Uh, but the handle still isn't great with him. The highlights make it seem like he is an elite handle. He doesn't have a good handle. Um, you know, and, and that's a concern when looking at how does he create his offense off the dribble. He's a shot yeah. maker. He can make shots off the dribble, but the handle is a bit loose. And it, he just need to tighten that up. Um, you know, and I just wonder, like, I don't think he's, like, the other skills he has are, like, bad enough to say that he's just a scorer and he's one-dimensional. I definitely, I don't think he's a one-dimensional player. Uh, but I, I wonder if those skills are going to be, get to a level that are good enough to you know, talk about him the way that we have, you know, mm-hmm. as this is franchise changing code. He he kind of fits like a Zach Levine mold. You know? mm, okay. Which uh, is like, which is good. Oh, like yeah. there are franchise changes in this draft, like compared to other guys, like, you know, compared to Cade, obviously, who's easily the best player in this draft. Evan Mobley, Jonathan Kaminga, you know, they just have, they just kind of do more. And Green is somebody I still have, like, you know, anywhere between, like, 8 and 12 on my board. But, you know, I'm just not as high on him as most. But he, he can still be, he can prove me wrong. Like, that's always the thing I say about this. It's like, there's always a chance that they prove me wrong. Like, you know very well I was that high on Wiseman when he was coming out. He can prove me wrong. He's kind of, he, he kind of is already. Uh, I still have concerns about him, but he's definitely like been better, way better than I thought it would be. Um, I think that's good because like a it means that young people are thriving. Um, but secondly, it helps me because it, I can go back and watch tape and see what I missed, and I can improve yeah. and things like that. Like I'm never going to be salty about being wrong about a prospect. And people always like Which, will go back on my own tweet, on my old tweets, and things like that, and say, "Oh, why, what are you gonna do if he ends up being better?" I'm like, "I'm gonna be happy for the guy because he's like 19 years old." Uh, and secondly, you know, I'm gonna look back and say, "Okay, how can I improve now?" Yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's an excellent um, mindset to have just in general about things, and especially when like doing your evaluations. One prospect that you mentioned that intrigues me the most is Evan Mobley, just because like I've seen some clips circulating of him. Um, and I'm just like, yo, like I just can't wait to see what team gets him and like what they do with him. Because it's always like you can always envision how you think a team would use him, but it's always interesting to see how it actually plays out. I don't know what team he would fit best on. I don't know if I you had know. a team in where so it's going to end up in this draft. Okay. I, I don't. There, there's a lot to get like, well, like top six pick right now. If they could get a final way to get Evan Mobley, that's going to, him and LaMelo, that pick and roll, and that Oof. pick and pop, like that's going to be something. To, okay. You know, under the idea that they actually use LaMelo ball properly, but you know, that could be something special. Uh, Evan Mobley, He'd be number one in a lot of classes. Like, um, he'd probably be number one last year. I 
I had the same grade. I have the same grade on Mobley as I do as I did on Lamelo because Lamelo would be like my number two or three player if he was in this draft. Uh, but he'd be number one in twenty eighteen in twenty nineteen probably. And that's something. Actually, no, no, he wouldn't be number one in twenty nineteen because that's Zion, and Zion's a ninety nine prospect for me. But yeah, he's a special player. You know, you don't find. First- I, I had concerns about him when he was coming out of high school. Oddly enough, like I didn't have him that high on my board. There were legit motor questions with him. He was getting outplayed by Lance Wave at Hoopball Classic. And there were times where Lance Wave was just working him. And that's concerning because Lance Wave isn't even close to as good as Evan Mobley. And it was just something that happened a lot. But, you know, I think when I was watching like high school, some old high school stuff, I think the game that encouraged me the most was his game against, was against James Wiseman where he had like 13 points, but the impact just felt so much bigger than 13 points that he had. Uh, and he's shown that in college as well. And, you know, he's so, he's so, there's a lot of fun. I'm having so much fun, like just watching tape and things like that. Uh, Jalen Johnson, another guy that he's finally back from injury. I can't, I'm, I can't wait to watch him more. Um, should be fine. I, I am, I'm trying to get some tape on like international guys. Now, uh, I've been able to get like Josh Giddy's stuff because he, I have like the MBL app. <laughs> but um, Usman Garuba is somebody that I like to see more. And then, of course, we got the G League guys. They're starting in February. That should be fun. Um, I can't wait to see Jason, Jason next play for them, personally speaking, because uh, Jason next. He's a 6'5", 220-pound point guard. He's a legit four general, and I think he deserves more recognition than he gets. Um, has looked a bit pudgy in the scrimmage clubs I've seen, but I, I'm interested to see him. I'm actually just excited in general for the, for the G League guys. That's going to be so fun to see how they, you know, figure out how to play together. Um you know, another guy, though, that I don't know what actually what the medical situation is with him, uh, but Keontae Johnson should be interesting. That's a prospect to see based off, like, we have to see if he's healthy, because obviously. But, um, you know, I'm not just trying to, like, like, like NBA, it's just this NBA draft I watch. Like, I'm starting to watch, like, the, like women's college as well for their prospects. I'm trying to get a good grasp on that but you know it's just gonna be a fun class in general personally speaking like last year's class was fun because it was just challenging i was frustrating as as well and i enjoyed that aspect of it to kind of fight through it this class is just frustrating because like there are guys that like you think are like top 10 top five guys and you have them ranked like 20 because mm. of the skill, because of the skill, and this this the depth of this class. Like, yeah, know, this that, class. Ken Thomas so- would be a top, you know, ten prospect in most drafts, but because of the depth of this class, he's close to like fifteen. You know, Jalen Green would be a top five guy in most classes, uh, but he's just not because of the depth of this class and how good this class can be. Yeah, you know, I'm excited. You know, and it's just in the, it's just in my second like 
whole year of doing draft coverage on YouTube, um, making videos, things like that. But, you know, it's just fun. I've learned from my mistakes. I've never been someone to make, like, the next, like, comparison. Like, he's the next there, so this is next that. I can't stand those because, like, you're. It's like you're. You're kind of putting such lofty expectations on a player, and it's like you don't. You haven't even seen them play an NBA a minute yet. Like, I don't like to. Like, I don't even like to make judgments on guys in their rookie year anymore because, like, so much things can change situationally, and like, just overall, the player could just look a whole different. Mm-hmm. Look like a whole different player in the next year. So it's like making those type of videos. It's so lazy. I think. Yeah, I like, know a lot of people that do it. I'm not gonna name them, obviously, but there are a lot of people that do it. Yeah, it's why I like Lobel so much because like he just doesn't, and he sticks to the skills. This is what they yep. do. This is what they don't. This is what I think they can and can't be. Like people got mad about him about the Tyrese Halliburton video that he made, which I still think remains true, mind you. But like, yeah, I had him on here talking about Tyrese Halliburton because I was like. I didn't necessarily like the fit with my Knicks, Knicks because I. You know, people talk about that, like like oh the Knicks should take him. Like no, there's because the thing with Halliburton was with with that draft and with his style is he he's not someone that I would would be doing this in a, in like in any situation where he's doing now. Like he's somebody that needed a primary in the seat of guard uh, to take the load off him. Because he can, yep. he can't. I don't think he's somebody that can create his own offense, and that still remains too. Like I'm watching him play, I'm like, okay, a lot of his scoring's coming off like catching to, you know, like there isn't a lot of self creation there. There him. isn't. The, the teams that like I believe might have been a good fit for him were teams like, you know, Golden State because they had Steph. I didn't. I wouldn't have taken him nearly that high. Yeah, that um, was way too. But I get what you're saying yeah. there. Um, Atlanta was probably the first spot I would have considered it, but they had, they have a lot of wing and go depth, so it didn't really make sense to me. I think they definitely chose the right player in Yeko Kongu. I think he's going to be so good once he gets like healthy and gets you know in a good situation. Um, Washington, maybe. I guess. Yeah. We don't, I, I guess if you consider Russell Westbrook a primary initiator, but they had Bradley, they had Bradley Beal, who's clearly not going to be going anywhere anytime soon based off what he's been saying. I, I thought Phoenix might have been able to get away with taking him because I think Devin Booker's enough of an on-ball creator to where you could have Halliburton playing an off-ball playmaking role. Um, and then Sacramento end up, we, we end up going as deer in box. And I think it's a great situation. Um, people like and again, this is why the key difference between him and Lamelo is Lamelo Ball can create um, more just because he's a better, he's a much better handle, and he's a better yeah. passer as well. That's a slight. The passing thing isn't a slight at Halliburton. It's just the fact that Lamelo Ball is like one of the five best passers in the league already. Um, but with Halliburton, it's just he, he's a very situational based player. I think that's what Rebel said. It's like. He need to go somewhere where he has an on-ball creator to, to take a lot because he doesn't have a great handle, doesn't create a lot of separation, and that's okay. You know, I think a guy like that is very. It's kind of unique. Like you don't you don't see guys like this, like off-ball players that aren't known for scoring. They're known for passing, and he can score. He can get you a twenty-point game every now and then, but it's not what he's known for necessarily. 
But I, I love it's been Sacramento. Like I love that. Yeah, that's been a that's been an ideal ideal spot for him, and like like to the point where he needs a primary. The Knicks didn't have primary that's necessarily good. Alfred Payton is yeah. not really that good, and Dude, I'm kind of happy probably, with. I want I, if they were going to take a if the Knicks were going to take a go to eight, it it should have been Cole Anthony. That was the one I would with Okiva Lewis because they're on ball creators. Um. Mm-hmm. I think they would have been fine. I think both those. I think you know Cole Anthony's showing a lot of signs in Orlando. A lot of signs that make me say like I, to like everyone that doubted him, like I kind of told you so. Like it's going to be shocking. He's been really good. They, I think Kyle Bruce will get his sign eventually at the end of trading Lonzo. Um, but with you know, I think Obi's going to be fine. I'm still not too high on him. Right. Yeah, I was never around him myself because I was like, he needs like a a guard to get him going downhill, especially because mm-hmm. he can't. He also can't create, which a lot of Knicks fans are somewhat realizing for the first time. I don't know oh, why. But, like, like, he, yeah, like, he he got most of his opportunities like from his guards setting him up. That's why he was so grateful and so thankful for his guards, and that's why he talks about them so highly from Dayton. Yeah, but yeah, those are the guys that set him up. Um, quickly has done an okay job of setting him up, him up. I mean, he still has a ways to go because he hasn't really played point guard or on ball um, since since probably high school. He's been yeah. fun. He's been fun. It's yeah, weird because like he's the first like not one and done Kentucky prospect to kind of like blow up like that. Like you know, Booker was one and done when he came out. Hero was one and done. This is I think quickly was a junior. I want to say. I think it was a sophomore. I want to say, well, he was a sophomore because he was on the team that when they faced Zion. But he's been fun. Um, there have been a lot of rookies that have been taking later that have just been really good at, from the start. A lot of guys that like okay I, that I believed like would should have been on lottery picks like Desmond Bain. I had a lottery grade on. I had a top fifteen grade on uh, Xavier Tillman. Uh, Peyton Pritchard's the one that's been shocked. That talked to me the most though, because he he's so he's he can be a a good backup guard. And yeah, that that's the ceiling I had on him when I was like watching him at Oregon because I I, t- mm-hmm. I took notice to him in his last two years of Oregon and I thought he was a pretty solid guard and I thought he would make like a good I thought he would I make didn't a good backup that high though. Mm, um, yeah, I thought if they're going to take a, I thought that if the Celtics were going to take a guard, it was going to be Tail Maladon. Or Tyrell Terry. I did not want Tyrell Terry at all. Uh, you know, he's been fine. I'm still iffy on the Aaron Naismith pick, though. I- I'll give it time. I won't still, obviously. But, you know, just watching what Maxie's been doing and watching what Cole Anthony, who were the two players I wanted the Celtics to take, you know, watching them, like, ball out the way they have, you know, that that's frustrating to me. Like, just... A bit, because they, because like they saying Naismith's not ready to make an impact. I'm like, then why do you then take him 14th yeah. overall? If he's not like, you took a guy like that last year, Romeo Langford, and I. The only reason I accepted that Romeo Langford pick was because I had a top five grade on Romeo Langford, and I thought that pick was a steal. No, mm. uh, okay. I, I had no, I had a top five grade on him because of the fact that he was playing with an injury, like he had to get a hand something with his shooting hand. That he needs surgery on, but he decided to play through it, uh, and that that clearly affected his shot. But 
we'll see with them. But like, you know, I I had a actually, ironically, ironically enough, I had um, Mason Smith as my 14th ranked player in the draft. So it was like it was a bad pick that way. Um, it was a bad pick. It was a bad pick. I don't even know fit wise because I think we needed a backup wing, but it was a bad fit in the sense. It was a bad pick in the sense of. You know, a guy that I considered a top four player in Tyrese Maxey was on the board. Like I, I had number six on my board. Cole Anthony was on the board. I know my board isn't the be-all, end-all of this. But, you know, we needed go- We still need guard depth, even what Peyton Pritchard did, because I'm tired of watching Jeff T play basketball. <laughs> now, that that's bad. But, like, I'm, I'm just imagining, like, what if we, like, we drafted Cole Anthony and then he's getting those... He's the guy that's wearing, the, the number in the 50s on the Celtics. Um, and he's their backup point guard, like, with, next to Peyton Pritchard. Like, that would have been better. Like, what if we drafted Tyrese Maxey? Like, guys like that, where it's like, those guys could make immediate impact right away. I don't think it needs to be ready. I still... If you wanted to take a project player, why didn't you take Alexis Pokusevsky? Like, that guy has a super high ceiling. But um, no, I'll I'll give it time. I I, I will. It, it, but when you watch guys go, that were picked after him, be really good right away. You're like, it is frustrating. I could, yeah. I can see that. I've dealt with that for many years as a Knicks fan, mm-hmm. seeing a lot of guys that we passed on essentially become solid or even great players. Yeah, but well, I, I, I think it was with Tatum. And Brown, like Tatum was great right away, even if the numbers didn't show it. But then Brown was like, nobody else in that draft class had a great rookie year either. So, like, even if like, guys like Jamal Murray and, and the guys like Buddy Heal, like, didn't have great rookie years. And, like, we kind of knew they were bringing Jalen around along slowly. Um, but when you're at a point now where you have Jalen and you have Kemba and you have Tatum, and they're necessarily, like, like and they're, like, they're ready to contend. You want the guys who can play right away. Cole Anthony could play right away. Yeah, Maxi could play right away. Um, you know, Sadiq Bay even if you want. I wish I would have rather they took him because he could play right away. Like, you know, it's just, you know, I, I it's just something that it, it was something that I was mad about at the time, and until they start playing, because I do think like he's capable of playing now. Like, I just kind of wish, like, they would just do, like, the Jalen Brown thing when he was a rookie with him. Bring him along slowly. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So, I think that's all we have for today. Noah, thank you for coming on. We, I think we had some great mm-hmm. conversations. Yeah. Um. Again, let the people know where they can find you. You can find me at Twitter at Noah underscore Terranova. You can find my Instagram at Noah Terranova. Just my name, no spaces. Um, and you can check me out on YouTube. It's Noah Terranova. It should be the first one that pops up. Uh, make videos about the draft. I make videos about NBA players, uh, high school prospects. It's just a bunch of stuff that's basketball. I really think you would like that. Um, again, yeah, thank you for having me on, man. No doubt. And make sure you check out, um, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. Check out all the links in the description. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, make sure you subscribe or and or leave us a rating. Helps us a, helps us a lot over here. Um, and make sure you check out the website. And that's about it.